Should we hear it? Okay. Let's make it in between me and Becca. Welcome to Book Swap, where my wife Becca and I talk about books that we read. Um, this week we read The World America Made by Robert Kagan, who's a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution. I made Becca read this book because we have very different ideas about what America, about what the United States is. And we have very different feelings about it, and about its history, and sort of its almost like its ontological status, like what the United States, just what it is, mm. and how how we kind of morally evaluate it, like how the, the different terms we have, because they have very similar values and principles. I think, but I think we just see our country in very different lights. So this guy is really an outspoken advocate for American power in the world because he believes that American power has underwritten the past 70 to 80 years of unprecedented growth in prosperity and peace all over the world. The sort of golden age in American history, and actually in, in world history. Uh, where there have really been no major wars, just sort of brush fire wars on the peripheries of empires. Um, and it's a really compelling book, so I mean, I mean, like, I read it and see what she thought, and I'm really curious what she thought. I think what bothers me about this book more than anything else is that it is really easy to read, and so I can't, like, use, like, it's, like, the pretext of, like, really bougie writing styles to knock off this book because it's so accessible and he really doesn't Kagan doesn't waste any time with like unnecessary like theory or not like he doesn't it's just it's too it's it's very short it's like 150 pages and it's very to the point and he's not trying to comp overcomplicate anything um in fact you could you could give this book to a high schooler, I think, any high schooler, uh, and they would be able to digest this information um, fully. Which is the thing that I like least about it, because I like to, um, I believe that education and information should be accessible to all people, no matter their level of, of or no matter their status in the, in the world, and so that's one of my biggest critiques of academia um, and in the same vein a lot of my politics follow suit so like I see America as sort of this um, conglomerate of power and wealth that uh, is able to do a lot of things in the world and in the country like in our country that are immoral and in fact against the standards with which they try to enforce and uh, against other governments uh, but they get away with it because they have the most power and they have the most money and so they can just sort of like you know be complete 
total hypocrites and, and like nobody can say anything because they're the world power and they have the most money. So, you know, and it, and, uh, but because Kagan writes in such an accessible way and because he, um, really makes a substantial argument in defense of America being, uh, the best option for a world power. It was really hard for me to um, disagree with his claims, which is the second most frustrating thing because I really don't th want America to be a world power. <laughs> but I like can't fight his logic because it makes a lot of sense because he talks about China and Russia and how, um, you know, the paragraph that you just pointed out, Jake, which, where he talks about how, like, if they, like, the frog and the scorpion, I think he talks about, and if China or Russia became the world superpower, then even if they weren't intending to make it the world awful, they just would, because that's in their nature. So let me get, let me get a quick synopsis <laughs> here so we understand what Becca's talking about. <clears throat> of the whole book and of, and of that parable in particular. In 1848 or something, there are all these revolutions across Europe, sort of liberal uprisings against European autocracy and uh, aristocracy. And there was a lot of hope throughout Europe, especially Western Europe, that there was going to be an opening of societies. And it was quickly quashed by the, um, the elites in Europe. Um, and there was a, a sort of a violent return. And, violent repression, violent return to uh, basically dictatorship all over Europe. And these nations, you know, all these empires, Britain, Portugal, Spain, France, Germany, Belgium, were able to balance their power um, in such a way that they could keep peace, but it was a really minimalist peace in which it was just an alien absence of war, but there was a huge buildup of military and a lot of rival, a lot of colonial rivalry. And for about 60 years, that worked. That system worked really well. A lot of historians... Unipolar? No, no, no. It, it was a... Uh, <coughs> it was multipolar. It was a multipolar global order in, that, in the sense that there were multiple European powers kind of orbiting each other in a, in a stable orbit because they had a certain you know, system of alliances that uh, balanced everything. Historians often look back on this period with fondness, and Kagan actually is contemptuous of that whole kind of academic obsession with this peri period of history because he says, look, this, it didn't work. Like, it worked for 60 years from, like, 1850 to 1910 or, or so. And then in 1914, it, it blew wide open. And, you know, we had a world war. And then we tried to reconstruct that piece and it blew wide open again. We have World War II, which is even worse. And then the United States stepped in. The United States, a power that had really just been growing, flourishing, basically on its own continent, for a couple centuries and was really really withdrawn and isolated from the rest of the world especially really from the european world um, and that whole hemisphere the other side of the atlantic and the other side of the pacific after world war ii the united states stepped in and basically arbitrated and policed and built the new world order like it's not going to be about balance of power anymore it's going to be about liberal ideals of Freedom, self-determination, um, free trade, and uh, enfranchisement, basically, you know, democracy. And, and of course, that was the sort of defining 
uh, ideology of the Cold War. Which is yeah. really great, but when you look at it, I mean, and when you, he talks about it too, but when you look at like the actual practice of that once once the U.S. did become right. the world power, then we have you know the entire the entirety of Latin America being just like taken over yes. subtly by the the U.S. deciding, hey, you know, your democratic democr- democratically elected you know president isn't good enough for us because he's not you know bowing down to the United States as a world superpower. So we're just going to kill him and then install this other guy who's actually going to be worse than anything we could have ever, like, even conceived of before. And, you know, props to Kagan because he does mention it, but he's so watered down about it. Like, oh, you know, the U.S. was, like, a little bit involved in, you know, some stuff that was happening in, you know, Guatemala, Nicaragua, and Honduras, but it's not a big deal because it was just sort of like a one-time thing and... You know, and then he does convict it, saying that it did defy the the very rules that they stand they stand um, in defense of. You know, and so, anyways, this this whole thing, you know, it's really interesting because I think, you know, you really think that America have you have always maintained that America is the best option for a world superpower, and that's just sort of been your stance. Uh, and defending that. And then for me, I'm like, okay, two two parts. One, I think that there should be... I, I desire a multipolar world again because I don't... It frustrates me to have a hierarchy where this one country is in control of, of deciding what is right and what is wrong for the entire world, basically, by use of, fow- of power and, and money. But then... You know, Kagan makes a pretty substantial argument against a multipolar world by saying, well, you know, all these other countries have just sort of let the United States become the world power. Like, the EU has really not done much to fight it. And, you know, China can try and Russia can try, but they're, they're surrounded by governments that would not let them. And in order for them to be to become the world powers, he says, you know, he'd have, they'd have to overcome the fledgling democracies that the United States has sort of supported, like India would never let China become a world power because they continue to grow. And um, and it's all just really complicated. So basically, I'm reading this book and I'm thinking, like, these are my, fu- my fundamental value is that there should not be any hierarchy ever and that America needs to be responsible for the things that they did during the Cold War and the things they continue to do in countries all over the world and they need to be held to the same standards that they're enforcing out there because they're doing really bad stuff. And then there's, like, all of the tons of issues that we have just in our nation now where there are like entire groups of populations that have that are that are fighting and have been fighting for centuries for the right to be just like everybody else you know like to the right to have equal equality and to 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 really experience that in their everyday being and and and, you know there are just so many populations that are just that are just suffering at the hand of this like powerful nation and we're like over in like 17 different wars or not you know mini wars all over the world and we're like police are killing tons of people every day and you know there's like all of these political issues that continue to surmount and we can't take care of that because we're too busy everywhere else so my fight would be like my my nature is like let's go isolationist again and have a multipolar world where there's many different Super world superpowers and America goes back to where it was before the World War One or two. I think they were isolationists. I mean, it, <clears throat> and take care of what we have going on, so that if we're because if we're gonna be like the the country 
that people look to as their hope. Like, if, if there are going to be people all over the world, like, li listening to our music and reading our books and, you know, reading our blogs online or whatever from whatever far-off country, you know, in a developing nation that's war-torn, and they're looking to us, and, you know, we have, like, massive protests every day now because there are these huge marginalized populations that are being massively or mass incarcerated or just being killed by police officers or suffering like hate crimes left and right you know like how does it look how how would you feel if you were that kid that was looking towards the united states as like their hope and then you know they're internalizing all these messages of hate and violence like what's well, really interesting because you're so i think what kagan would say is that the reason it's a good thing that the United States is the chief architect of the world order, its you know chief guarantor, um, and is this sort of yeah unipolar power, is because of people like you. Because we are a reluctant superpower. We hate being a superpower. That's she does say that. Yeah. And. The, and he says he doesn't say look we're perfect and he says we're totally imperfect we're hypocrites we have this mythology about our own innocence as a country we don't really believe that we're an empire even though we are um, but look at the alternatives Russia China and these are places where there aren't protests every day because there can't be because in Russia, they kill journalists who criticize the, Putin. You know, they, in China, they control what people think by controlling what they can search on the Internet. Yeah, like blocked out Jasmine and Arab Spring, right? During... During the Arab Spring, China blocked lots of keywords related to revolutions going on in the Middle East. Exactly. And if those countries were to become world powers uh, or more significant world powers, you know, much more influential, sort of shared power with the United States more than they do now. We would have a more autocratic, a less free, a less peaceful, and a less prosperous world. He, his argument here is that, look, we've had from like 1945 to the present, this like virtually unbroken, well actually no, it's not unbroken. These, this cycle, this upward spiral of democracy where we have waves of democratization and then reverse waves but that since the early 1980s we actually have not had a reverse wave like in the 1940s 1950s we had like 14 democracies in the world you know that like a, a maybe an organization like freedom house would rate as totally free and now we have over 100 we have like 120 130 something like that and that's because of the u.s navy being all of the world and U.S. soft power being projected into all corners of the world, and soft power, soft power like our um, just the example of what what you can what a nation can be when it's free, um, when people are allowed to develop their ideas, um, and people are allowed to strike out on their own and like you know realize their dreams, and all of the world people are trying to emulate that. So. We're not perfect, right? In our hemisphere, you know, we have this tragic history of the Monroe Doctrine. You know, it's basically claiming all of Central and South America as like our backyard, our territory. And throughout the Cold War, we have this sordid history of, yeah, not not promoting democracy at all. The opposite, 
because we're paranoid about the about Soviet influence in in our backyard. And um, yeah, that's wrong. And I think Kagan admits that. It's just that you know these are satellite state. These are like basically U.S. satellite states that are now like being allowed to come out of that history and kind of flourish since the 1980s, basically. Um, whereas like Soviet satellite states are still struggling just to be free from annexation from their mother country. You know, Russia is in Georgia. It's in Ukraine. It's trying to like take this, take this country's back. And if American influence and power were to really wane in a significant way, that Russia would just take Ukraine back. It would just take Georgia back. It would take Belarus back. It would, it would take Lithuania back. Like, like, the thing that's constraining these nations from shattering the global liberal order is American power. It's not something you can take for granted. It's not just like a baseline default way the world is. If our power to decline, the world would get worse. That's, his, that's what he's trying to say. The whole world, not just Latin America. You have to broaden your vision. But it doesn't even feel like we have that, you know, like you said, like, democracy, you know, America is, like, this place where we can develop our own thoughts and stuff. Yeah, sure, I can say what I want and I can develop my thought. I'm not, not going to take that for granted, but it's just, like, when I try to go vote for something or make a change in policy, like, the Supreme Court just ruled that anything that police obtain illegally, they can now use in court. So, like, if they obtain something, like, through an illegal search or, like, basically without a warrant, they can use it in court now. <clears throat> To me, that doesn't feel like I live in a democracy. That feels like I'm getting closer and closer to a police state, you know? Right. Yeah, no, and I think, like... And so is it is it is America itself transitioning into a different period? Well, yeah, it could. I mean, that's sort of the, the scary thing about our... about very recent politics in the United States is that, yeah, we, it looks like even in the United States, the forces of nationalism and xenophobia these dark forces of history just like fascism back in the 1940s do threaten to uh so who can stop us take over our uh, our polity so that's the problem so if america is the only world power then there's no there's no checks and balances because we have all this legislation that's international law which is admittedly mostly a scam but it's like or not a scam but like a fraud well, I'll tell you what I prefer. I prefer, the Europe, I prefer the European Union to be a significant world power. I mean, right now it's... As opposed to us or in, co- in combination with us? In combination. And I, and I would like it so if... So a multipolar world. Yeah. Yeah, I think if Brazil, India, South Africa, Russia, were all somehow... These developing nations that, that can but choose not to. Right. Like, so, for example, yeah, India and South Africa are sort of famous for being non-aligned during the Cold War. So, like, we're not aligned with the United States, we're aligned with the Soviet Union, we're on neither side. <laughs> and Kagan talks about this, too. So, if those, if those powers were to become kind of uh, fortresses of democracy and buttress the global liberal order in a powerful way... That'd be great. They're also really aptly positioned geographically because if India were to, you know, do a better job containing China, then the United States wouldn't have to, right? Like if Japan and India, if all those countries, like as soon as we leave, all this, like all the all of the American fans in Southeast Asia, South Asia, East Asia, are no longer going to have a protector, and they're going to acquiesce to the bully, the big big bully that is China. Like it's America that's preventing that from happening. 
It does. I mean, it does make sense. That's the thing. I mean, I'm reading this book and I'm thinking like, fuck, you know, Jake is right. Like he won. He gave me this book. I'm reading it. And I am, I am convinced. And it's really accessible and it makes a lot of sense. But I'm still like holding so tightly onto the idea that America is just so fake. Like it's like. Right, it's, it's, just, like it's the it's the it's the the plastics or something in, in the Mean Girls. Like we're just <laughs> awful on the inside, you know. And we just we just make ourselves look like we're great, but there's just so many things that are wrong. Like if we're gonna be the world power, mm-hmm. and if I'm gonna be that, like, I mean, I just I keep thinking like that that like if I were, you know, this like Somalian kid or you know Senegalese kid, and I'm sitting there in like some war, you know, like in the middle of absolute poverty and just feeling totally isolated and alone. And the only thing that I can think about is, like, maybe someday I'll be able to go to America. You know? Which I'm not sure if that's a real thing that actually happens, but when I think about that, when I think about America as the world superpower, when I'm, when I'm reading this book and I'm thinking, man, like, it really is true. Like, we are the best option. And then I look and I think about what life would actually be like if that Senegalese boy made it to America. And I think about the xenophobia and, like, the immigrant, like... The, the rhetoric about immigration in this country and how hard it would be and how he wouldn't even see the fruits, you know, the true fruits of his move to America until two or three generations later when his, like, great-granddaughter was finally able to, you know, move up to such a point where she could have, like, the house and the two-car garage and, you know, all of these things. And it just, it just feels like we could do better. Like, yeah okay, great, we're the world superpower, we have the most money, we have the most power, we have the most influence, we have the most democracy, like, let's actually make it true. It doesn't feel true, you know? We, of course it could be better, and, and, and it should be. But it, I feel like you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You're saying, it's not perfect, it's not, as, it's not as good as it should be, therefore let's abdicate all the responsibility that attends or the power we sort of stumbled upon because of, sort of accidents of history, and let's totally withdraw and let the world fucking collapse and just go to shit because we need to fix our problems here first. That to me is so selfish. I, I can't even wrap my head around that. That's, that's insane. Like, it would. The world would get so much worse. <laughs> you know? Um, what's, okay, here's, what's really interesting to me is that I think at heart, I want to get back to this parable you were talking about earlier, Rebecca. At heart, Robert Kagan is actually not a liberal. And here's why. So he talks about China and Russia and how they would they threaten this global liberal order. A lot of people rebut that argument by saying, no, it's in their best interest to maintain like a free trade global regime that's benefited them. You know, since opening up to the United States and to the world commercially, China has flourished so so its growth has just taken off you know it's it's actually in china as a nation it's in its self-interest to uphold that to actually partner in sustaining that order and same with russia robert kagan says no this is like the story of the frog and the scorpion where the scorpion says hey frog carry across this river because i can't swim and the frog says no i'm not because you're going to sting me and kill me and the scorpion says why would i kill you in the middle of the river, because then we'd both drown and die. And the frog says, okay, that makes sense. And so they cross the river, and halfway across the river, the scorpion stings the frog. And as the frog is dying, it asks the scorpion, why'd you sting me? 
And the scorpion says, because I'm a scorpion. He's like, maybe it is irrational for a country like China to seek regional and maybe even global hegemony at the expense of its own economy. You know, like it actually would do better if it could freely trade with other major consumer markets um, like the United States and be part of big free trade deals. But it won't because it's an autocratic society and it's in its nature to seek power above all else. And that's because it's really, it's really an illiberal idea because the liberal idea, let me like go back to Adam Smith, is that self-interest will guide, is the invisible hand that will guide all people to kind of working together optimally. Maybe that's true in a system of individuals. But in a system of nations, I don't think it's true. And I, I kind of agree with Robert Kagan here. Nations, collectives, groups of people, are not rational. We don't act rationally. I think when you put people together, what comes out is the lowest common denominator of our worst instincts, actually. And that it takes incredible political craftsmanship to construct a system that prevents those worst instincts from influencing a country's leadership too much and you know, being exhibited too much. I think in the United States, we actually have a really genius constitutional structure that prevents that from happening too much. I don't think it's perfect, and I think it's actually probably going to go through a crisis soon. But a country like Russia, a country like China, will not act in their self-interest. They will destroy a global order that has allowed them to flourish mm. because that's just in their nature to do that. And it's an illiberal idea. I mean, the, 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 I mean, the liberal idea is that history is progressing. That's like the Hegelian dialectic. History was always progressing. It's like a force of its own. It's always getting better. And so if America were to step back and stop basically holding up the world on its shoulders, the world would continue spinning. And we still have as much peace and economic growth as we have now. But the reality is history would take a turn as soon as you stop doing that. The world would fall over. You told me that, that thing that Kagan says about um, the collective self-interest would be would be irrational or collective there is no yeah collective self-interest doesn't mean anything. because it's really when you're talking about an autocracy you're talking about self-interest as a small circle of people at the very top an autocracy yeah so though it is in those people's self-interest to seek more and more power I'm just not sure I mean yeah I guess it's just depressing <laughs> I mean this book to me we're reading it was just like yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, but then it's like, okay, so here we are. You know, it's 2016, Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, and, you know, Brexit happened, xenophobia is, like, back on the rise, like, stronger than we've ever seen it before, and America's a world superpower, and... You know, we've deported more people from this country than we ever have before. 
Latin America, Mexico's at war right now in Oaxaca over the right of teachers being able to teach. There's just, and there's just so many things that, I, you know, that are just going on right now. There are, there, are. there are so many things, yeah, and there, and there always will be. It's just that, would you prefer that? Or would you prefer that plus another World War Three? <laughs> you know. Which where, you think, which cake where, is inevitable if another world superpower where takes place? Russia just like annexes a whole group of of uh, Central Asian countries, and China just like forcibly puts like an air force base on some island that belongs to the Philippines, or, you know, like yeah. And we're and all of a sudden we have to go to war. You know that that could happen. That could happen again. There's there's no guarantee that will not happen. See, this book sucks because it's just <laughs> sad. You know, and and then and then you'd have tens, of hundreds, millions of people dying in war, and major think, and open you... major power war. And right now, yeah, you know, fifty people died in, died in a nightclub in Orlando, and that is terrible, and it should never happen again. And we need to figure out gun control in this country. We need to figure out like fundamentalism and you know fear of foreigners in this country, but. Those are, those are all things that we can work on while still uh, in fact I think trying to be a better example is part of being a world leader yeah. and I, I, like I said I'd prefer to have multiple powerful partners helping us in this task because it's really hard but right now there isn't anyone like that there just isn't and do you think that our, that our like, focus on being a world superpower has, has detracted our ability to work on it no. issues or no. I mean like no it's, it's, it's a false dichotomy there's no either or there there's, they're not mutually exclusive I mean this is the danger of nationalism is saying America first let's like forget the rest of the world we have enough energy we do we have enough energy here to provide our needs we have, we have enough trade between our southern and northern neighbors to provide for our needs like we'll be fine we'll, we would be to- that's, the, that's the truth behind Trump's appeal is that we would be completely fine if we just cut ourselves off from the rest of the world and worked on our own problems here. But the rest of the world would be fucked. You know? Like, globalization has lifted billions of people out of extreme poverty. Right, like the poverty... You, you said, like, before that the poverty rate... And, and Poverty and, doesn't look like what it used to. It looks better than what it used to. And nas- so it nationalism continues to look better than what it used nationalism to. Nationalism is, is the ideology that's like defined by opposition to globalization, defined by uh, a desire to kind of wall off the rest of the world. You see it in the UK, obviously, very recently. You see it in America. And it's a dangerous force. It's so fascinating. That is like the f- one of the few times, like when you look at it that way, you can really see that... Uh, that us being a world superpower is, you know, and this is going to make Karl Marx roll over his grave, but it's like sort of a communist agenda because we're trying to take care of the world. We're trying to make everybody, you know, everything better. We're trying to, or maybe it's more of a socialist agenda. Like if we can get everybody to be at a similar... Well, how about just a liberal agenda? It's a liberal idea that everyone should have a voice right I know government. but for me coming from like you know the communist anarchist perspective that I was educated well, in well communism is just a, is an offshoot of liberalism I mean the, like 
liberalism is the political philosophy of like the intellectual forebears of Marx, but also of you know um, of John Jay and Alexander Hamilton and Jefferson, you know, like like and Rawls and Engels, like it just the whole. I know I'm jumping around a couple different centuries here, but like it's all liberal thinking. It's just different strands of it. And the liberal idea is that people should consent to be governed. And that's when you have, Mm. you know, anyway, so that's, I'd I'd rather live in a liberal world. I think that the, the, um, it calls into question two parts of my like politic, which is like, this belief that we should really just leave everybody alone because we've done so much harm and uh, we really need to focus on ourselves is like actually in complete um, conflict with my other ideology, my other, you know, value, which is like caring for all people and sharing community and, and being together with, with everyone. Um, right, and it's complicated. There's a moral. The reason it's tough is that there's a moral ambiguity in being powerful. Like, there's no such thing as a pure, a morally pure empire. There just isn't. The exercise of power is always morally ambiguous, and there's no way around that. There's idealists who want to say that America is a pure, innocent nation, and that we never do anything wrong. And there, there are idealists like you who want American power to be gone because they see any exercise of power as essentially evil. But right. you really need to be an idealist in between those two extremes. Like, there needs to be a way to make the world better while not doing too much harm <laughs> in the process. Right. Because anytime you give power to a group of people, no matter what, they're going to abuse it. But I still would love a world in which there are no hierarchies and in which, you know, all people can be safe and feel safe sure. and be loved and I feel think, loved and experience that as their everyday reality. I think you're asking, not like, I think you're, well, I think you're asking for a non-human world. Right. So reconciling being a human and desiring a non-human world is just, Does that mean know, we're born be, into a family that has a hierarchy? If there's no hierarchy in family, then kids would kill themselves. I mean, <laughs> Um, and then we're and then we go into like we kind of start entering into society in school where we have the people who teach us and then jobs people who are older than us who manage and direct the enterprises that we're part of and then as we become older we become teachers and parents and the managers and like there's no escaping the hierarchy which it's is just, why the energy the is so is. attractive. Because if it was just complete chaos all the time, then it, everybody would be in chaos, and there would be nobody who is in less chaos than the other person who is in chaos. You'd rather blow up the world than than try to fix it in the morally ambiguous ways that we have to do it. You're so you see, you're so uncomfortable with moral ambiguity that you just rather rather blow it up. <laughs> no, of course not, which is why I hate this book, because I have to believe in what Robert Kagan believes in, because I have to see that what he said is right, and that, that it makes sense for America to be the world superpower, but I just hate it, because I would rather that we could just be 
all living on a commune and I could just work on a farm and use the stuff that I made on the farm to feed the other people who lived in my intentional community and there would be no hierarchy and we would just sit in circles to resolve all of our conflicts and talk about all of our feelings and everything would be fine and I wouldn't have to deal with bombs, okay? Because it would just be an anarchist world with multipolar, multi a multipolar anarchist world. Right, I mean... <laughs> But instead, I have to just accept the fact that America is a world superpower and the world is better off that way. So, I hate Robert Kagan, basically. <laughs> I, I, I do think that the world will one day be like what you described. I, I really do. But I think that that will be the end of time. The end of this time. The end of this age. Yeah. But not now. I think now... The best we can do is basically realpolitik. Just try to make that the world better bougie, one so step at a time. Can you define it, please? Real politics. Real politics. Yeah. Like real realism. And, uh, but the idealist in me does believe that the world will be like that one day. I just feel like it's going to take something supernatural to get there. Literally. Yep. <laughs> I don't think it's in our nature to be like that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Book Swap. I think we have to wrap it up. Beck and I will probably continue this conversation for the next three hours over or a bottle of rosé. For the next, like, 40 over years. the next 40 years. <laughs> but also, in real life, uh, the bottle so of rosé So if you'd ever like happening. to join us for a bottle of rosé, Yeah, we'll talk please. about really depressing things, and then all you want to do is drink more wine. Maybe we should drink wine while we do this. That, that's probably what we should do. That's the next step, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about it. Oh, we could spend the first five minutes talking about the wine that we're drinking and then the rest of the oh, podcast so talking smart. about the book we're reading. Okay, the thing stay is, tuned. The thing is, I feel like if I got drunk, it could go one of two ways. Either I get like really silly and happy or I get really angry. <laughs> know, depending on what I said. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, tune next time. Maybe you, you'll be a drunk version of Book Swap. You never know. It'll so, be like Sook enjoy, enjoy, Sook <laughs> enjoy the anticipation. <laughs> See you next time. Oh, you can find us on iTunes? No. Yeah, <laughs> iTunes. All right, bye. You can iTunes. Book Swap is a production of Paperclip, produced and directed by Rebecca Calhoun, editing by Hannah Smith, and an extra special thanks to Ben Belserac for the theme music. If you like BookSwap, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, or tweet at us at PaperclipFM, or with the hashtag BookSwap. You should also check out another new show on Paperclip, Jean-Michel Biscuit, interviewing artists about food. Or check out the always updating content on WineAndDonut.com. If you want to help us make this show and other shows like it, visit patreon.com paperclipfm and find out how you can donate a monthly amount that makes this show possible.